is the Business Breakfast with Oanda on Jazz FM. Online trading, currency data, money transfers. Greg Ellum joins us, market analyst at Oanda. So HS2 will apparently get the go-ahead, but there's a three-way split. We talked about this, didn't we, last week, about the way it's probably going to be sold. First of all, the terminus at Euston project, then the Northern Regeneration project, which is uh, Leeds-Manchester split and the rest of it, and then London to Birmingham will be called HS2. But the cost overruns will still be the same, presumably. They're going to do a review into the cost overruns and try and find if find out if there's a way that the the, the next phase, which is going to be completed, I think by the mid 30s, uh, can be uh, can be more efficient uh, and there can be savings here. Um, but the, the, I'm kind of sceptical that they're going to really find any. I mean, this has been going on for more than a decade now, and uh, the numbers are just going up. And it feels like the longer that the conversations happen, the more the the, the further north the numbers do head. Uh, I mean, obviously, they always have to look for savings, uh, 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 and therefore that 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 it seems like a sensible policy. But I think the important thing is the fact that the project is actually going ahead, uh, and it, it, it both uh, re- it both reaffirms, I guess, Boris's commitment to um, to keeping up travel uh, in the UK and increasing connectivity, um, and also I'm sure will come as a major relief to commuters who are coming from outside of London on, on those very overcrowded trains, where the frequency of those trains is going to uh, increase, as well as obviously the Along, along with uh, decreased journey times. There was a project called Eurotunnel many years ago and people used to wonder how on earth that would happen with its constantly becoming bankrupt, going into administration, re- remodelling the idea of debt and all the rest of it. Yes, it did happen. Now it's part of an essential part of, of, of infrastructure. Will not HS2 to future generations be the same? I think so. I, I think we have to remember uh, the the problem with these massive infrastructure projects is it always falls on a government which isn't really going to reap the benefits uh, of those decisions. So it always has to be a very much a long term planning thing. And when you're looking at governments that are effectively being reviewed every four to five years and they're looking at something that could benefit uh, whoever's in charge in twenty to thirty years, it's always a big and brave decision, I think, to undertake such a massive uh, such a massive project. But I'm glad that we are actually seeing that happen because I think it's absolutely essential. We've obviously seen with the UK right now people are constantly complaining about travel disruption constantly complaining about journey times constantly complaining about overcrowding we're seeing an airline a domestic airline which is effectively looking at state aid and uh, 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 an investment from the government because it's um, because it's so important uh, to uk travel um uh, uh, and it seems that it's only sensible that we are looking at ways to improve uh, connectivity in the uk and that's not just trains obviously but something we're going to talk about shortly in terms of things like bus routes cycle routes it's about improving connectivity uh, across the spectrum, and this is one massive and important part of that. Um, how important is this business of equivalence for the City of London as far as the EU is concerned? I always thought traditionally the City of London was pretty adept at choosing its markets and uh, was not just you know, bounded by the EU and so on. It, is, is it an important market? What does it actually mean to you? Well, it's hugely important. It's it's important for various different financial firms, um, and, and I'd, I'd imagine legal firms and others uh, throughout the city of London. And we have to remember the city of London, uh, like it all over, that is still a hugely important part of the UK economy, and it still um, adds a lot of money into the into the ta- into the into taxes as well. So we it has to be looked after. But obviously, it's going to be looked after as part of an almost separate agreement from uh, from any uh, uh, future trade deal with the EU. So it does seem like the only the only alternative option 
protection than being in the single market is equivalent to something that many other countries have uh, with the EU. But obviously, from the UK's perspective, with it being a, a much bigger monster, uh, then it, it's increasingly important. Um, but then, obviously, it comes with, that, the, with those challenges as well. The UK's talked about the fact that it wants to almost diverge from the EU's rules, but ultimately, um, this is going to have to come down to a conversation with the EU in terms of where it can diverge and where it can't. And if the UK wants to maintain access to uh, to this massive market, which it currently has access to, and is an important cog within, uh, then it, it, then there is going to have to be some leniency on both sides. But ultimately, if the UK doesn't want to comply with the EU's rules, then the EU will go down different routes. I think we've talked about this before with, uh, for example, if you look at Trump's policies with regards to China and trade with other countries, for example, it's currently in quite a powerful position in that it does, uh, it is hugely important and it does have this massive market. But ultimately, if you try to push people too hard and push countries too hard, then they are slowly going to look at alternative uh, alternative options you look at it for example with the sanctions that the US is imposing on other countries and using its dollar dominance um, the, uh, other countries now looking at ways in which they can get around uh, these sanctions because they're being used uh, so much. If you look at the UK's position now, currently very strong and we obviously have a financial centre that, uh, that, 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 that usurps anything else that's available in Europe and I think other countries in Europe are less uh, keen to become obviously the new massive financial centre because of the risks etc uh, that comes with it. But ultimately if the UK tries to bully its way around rules and things like this and tries to force the EU down its way of thinking, if the EU strongly disagrees with that, then yes in the near term we may still be okay but in the longer term, all it's going to do is encourage Europe uh, to look at ways in which it can get around the reliance on the UK. And ultimately, at this moment in time, one of the most attractive things about the UK as a financial centre is its access uh, to European markets. So we have to really weigh up the balance of uh, short and long-term goals. And a fairly uh, stark warning from Senior Cabinet Minister Michael Gove saying that... uh there won't be a frictionless border until 2025 and there will be costs and there'll be red tape as far as Brexit and trade is concerned. Um, yeah, OK, that's uh, a warning. What's it mean for inflation and therefore interest rates, do you think, given that higher costs will, will occur? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think we have to really weigh up firstly what it is that he's trying to do and what he's trying to achieve. But one thing I think it is in a way posturing. It's um, if you're going into a negotiation, the best way to make almost the the other people at the negotiating table believe that you're serious in terms of the, your the, the, your your threats to uh, to have full tariffs and have uh, f- uh, friction borders effectively is to almost convince businesses and get them preparing because that makes it more believable and that's something that. Theresa May and her team was always heavily criticised for but was the fact that she wasn't believable in her uh, threats. I think the other side of this as well is that ultimately the, no, neither side knows exactly how where we're going to end up with this and both sides are, uh, acknowledge that, they, that these talks can go awry and that there may be delays and there may be borders and there may be checks and there may be frictions. So this government doesn't obviously want to be responsible for businesses not being prepared in the worst case scenario so it does encourage businesses to do so even if it does come at a cost. Um, so I, th- I don't. I, th- I think we need, in a way we need to take this with a pinch of salt. But ultimately, if we do end up with uh, with more friction and we do end up with tariffs, then yes, there is going to be an inflationary impact. But the inflationary impact you would expect will uh, kind of be a twelve month thing. Uh, inflation numbers are compared to the same period a year ago. So when prices start to creep up, then we will see a spike in inflation. I don't think it will make a huge difference to to the way that the Bank of England operates because the Bank of England do does tend to uh, look through uh, these um, these. T- temporary spikes in inflation and that's what it would 
ultimately be because once the first year passes you would start to see that moderate again um, but I, I think the biggest um, question would be how do businesses prepare because uh, as we saw before when we did see the pound plunge um, a, a few years ago what we saw initially was a spike in inflation and then obviously we saw a spike in wage demands because wage pressures started to rise as well in response to that so it's how businesses um, respond as well as uh, how the Bank of England responds and like say a few years ago the Bank of England didn't really respond over a thousand people have been killed in China from the coronavirus uh, uh, outbreak Um, the World Health Organization has said that isolated new cases could become the spark that becomes a bigger fire China struggles to return to work that that particular province is four and a half percent of China's uh, GDP and of course China plays a much bigger role in the global economy than it did during the SARS outbreak what are you seeing right now what are you looking at as far as the economic impact of this is concerned so, um, so, so someone's suggesting that this could knock a full percentage GDP uh, off uh, off China's uh, annual uh, growth. I, I think I find it really difficult to actually come up with a number right now, just simply because we don't know how much worse this is going to get. Last time I was on the show, we were talking about uh, a death rate of 200, and now we're above 1,000. We've seen how rapidly this escalates, and we don't really know where this is going to end. Um, and it's obviously got so much worse so far, so it's really difficult to try and put uh, numbers on the economic impact. But we are what we are seeing is things like car manufacturers, just-in-time manufacturers, uh, that are heavily reliant on um, on. on parts coming from China. Uh, we've got a very integrated uh, global industry so you're seeing factories in Japan now uh, shutting uh, as far as car manufacturing is concerned because they can't source the parts uh, from factories which have shut in China. We look at Wuhan um, as an example, they've got a massive um, car manufacturing base where the, these factories have been shut now for weeks uh, and it, they're unlikely to reopen anytime soon. There are other businesses around uh, around that are going to be impacted in, in a similar way, maybe not quite in the same way as car uh, as car manufacturing just because of the just-in-time processes uh, and the fact that everything does just fall into place so that the production line can continue. But there's going to be plenty of other people who are relying on uh, on, on either parts from China or on uh, finished goods from China uh, which are going to be disrupted. Uh, so aside from the actual slowdown effects that China has, there is other areas as well. But then there's also the actual direct impact as well that a slowdown in China would have uh, in terms of uh, tourism, in terms of the airlines, in terms of uh, demand for foreign goods, obviously, because China is a massive trade partner for other countries not just in terms of buying goods but also selling goods so the the numbers could be quite significant and um uh, and i think central banks around the world are now going to be uh, standing by ready to jump in again like they did last year uh, if the situation does deteriorate in order to try and restore confidence i know this is a subject dear to your heart transport in london staying with cars uh, and ola um, now is has has entered the the the, the taxi sector. Uh, Twenty five thousand drivers in London uh, so far. Uh, um, now, what do we feel about this? One winner, do you think, out of this? Given that TfL has said um, a number of times that Uber is uh, apparently unfit for purpose. Yeah, I mean, I, I find this story really interesting that there's so many companies that want to get into this scene because if I, if if we look back ten years uh, and we say what was people's biggest complaints with regards to uh, travel by uh, taxi, the two complaints were with the smaller the, the smaller cabs that they were unreliable that they you, every every time you made a phone call to a taxi firm it was we're just around the corner we'll be there in two minutes and forty minutes later something would show up or that it was more expen- too expensive in terms of black cabs. Now a company like Uber 
seems to have solved all of those problems. They're extremely efficient. They're much cheaper and you've got technology to back it up so you can see where your taxi is and get more transparency in terms of the firms, uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of the fares. Now, there's multiple firms which have been uh, set up on the back of this so that, that are competing with each other already in London and it seems that more and more are coming into the space. The problem is, at some point, um, that how, how, at what point is that going to be sustainable? Because we have a lot of companies who are competing and now the only thing that they can really compete on is price. Now, Uber's been loss-making for so many years and a number of these other companies are going to be going to be loss-making as well. Don't get me wrong, it's always great to see number of companies coming into spaces like this where you think improvements can be made and ultimately that comes to the benefit of consumers. But I'm just struggling to see exactly where other improvements can be made which uh, which, which take a company like Ola uh, 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 and make it a front-runner against an Uber apart from, on price, a price that's already loss-making. But I think it's a really interesting space to watch over the next few years because I think uh, my, my uh, expectation is that a number of these companies are going to run into severe financial difficulty when the funding dries up. Craig Ellum, thank you very much indeed. The Business Breakfast on Jazz FM with Oanda. Online trading, currency data, money transfers. 